0: Cut all this.
1: No, that's good. That's a quality radio. Continue.
0: <laughs> I'll be the judge of it <laughs> <Yeah>. later. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you and I disagree on what's quality podcasting.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Todd Mack, here with Joseph Dorowski, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Marie Barone in No Fat, the 10th episode of the third season of Everybody Loves Raymond. Marie Barone is played by Doris Roberts. The episode was written by Ellen Sandler and Susan Van Allen and directed by Stephen Zuckerman.
0: A little bit of trivia... During its nine seasons on the air, Everybody Loves Raymond was nominated for 69 Emmys and won 15. Doris Roberts won four of those Emmys for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. And Everybody Loves Raymond has been remade and adapted into several foreign markets, including England, Russia, the Netherlands, Israel, India, and Poland.
2: It has. It's true. I saw that. I saw that billboard. Oh, our <laughs> producer Andrew, who spent some time in Poland, confirming Wikipedia for us. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It, it literally translated to pretty much everybody loves Raymond. Uh, different cast, and wow. I'm sure they probably just remade episodes. shot Yeah, shot. Th-
0: these were uh, these are not um, like airing it in those markets. This is kind of like an American version of The Office. The, yeah, you know, there were those nations' versions of Everybody Loves
1: Raymond. Wow. That's awesome. So Todd, do you know how you came to Everybody Loves Raymond? Uh, I do. When we were in California, uh, we got cable and there have been only very few, uh, periods of my life when we have had cable. And anyway, that was one of them. It makes sense and... since you host a podcast about <laughs> television shows <laughs> and films. Yeah. Um, well, like when we grew up, we didn't have cable and, uh, I, I just feel like a little piece of me dies every time I have to sign anything over to a cable company that's I just the
0: does it die for every waiting hour you're waiting for them to come
1: so you can sign it over? Oh my gosh, it's the worst. Paying all that money so basically so that I can have ESPN is that's just the So anyway, there have not been very many times in my life when I have uh, had cable, and uh, those have often been when I've been in student housing where (laughs) it's given to me. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, uh, we had TBS, and I believe Everybody Loves Raymond was on TBS. I can confirm that because I'm going to talk about it when I talk about how I came <laughs> to Everybody Loves Raymond. So I I really enjoyed it. It was delightful. And uh, I would often find myself watching episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond. I haven't seen loads and loads of it, but uh, enough to get a, have a good feel for the, the series.
0: Yeah. So, so similarly, I did not watch it when it was doing its first run on CBS. I found reruns on TBS when I was editing video stuff and, it was like some mindless portions of the editing where I didn't have to be paying super close attention to the (laughs) audio or anything. I would have a show on in the background and TBS ran a multi-hour block of (laughs) everybody loves Raymond that I would often have on in the background. And that's when I first started to watch any, it's not one of those series where I've seen every episode or, you know, or anything. I've got some of the season sets that I found at a really good bargain bin price at one point when I was still adding to my DVD collection, <laughs> but not all of them. And so I've never seen the latter episodes. Now that it's on Netflix, I may get around to actually watching it. By some, he means six. I can see them. Yeah, but I think there were, <laughs> were their ten seasons or eleven seasons, so you know, about half.
1: <laughs> so this actually comes towards the end of of uh, oh no, this tenth episode of third season. So we're towards the beginning. Yes. So just for those of you who may not be familiar with Everybody Loves Raymond, Everybody Loves Raymond is a sitcom, and it's about a guy named Raymond, and everybody loves him. So if that sounds interesting, no. <laughs> really, uh, he he lives uh, with his wife, and they have some kids, and they live close to his parents. Do the, do the parents live across the street or next door? Or I want to say it was across the street. But very close. Yes, yeah,
0: they're on the exact same street. It's either next they're door or directly across. They're constantly they're
1: constantly visiting each other. Uh sort of popping in the back door and uh or the front. And um and his brother lives close by also. His name is Robert. And so it's just a sort of simple sitcom about this family and Raymond uh is sort of the central character, but all of the characters are really pretty pretty outstanding.
0: So if these terms mean anything to you, this is a classic three camera family sitcom <laughs> so sitcoms are, are tend to be divided into uh, workplace or family. And then um, now there's three camera or single camera is a dividing line. So three camera is where they would have three sets that they would, and one of them would often be able to be rotated out, but they just have three cameras pointing at the set. So you get a wide shot with everyone. And then two cameras that were cutting across to get facial reactions. And so this one had like the set of his family room, his living room, and I think his bedroom were probably the three main sets. And the kitchen? They, yeah, the kitchen. Uh, and it's kitchen. It's got to be kitchen, family room, bedroom, bedroom. And then fa- uh, the parents kitchen would be swung in and out of probably their kitchen set too yeah um so uh (laughs) (laughs) um but it's a classic style of sitcom it's been replaced somewhat today by the single camera which doesn't have the studio audience and is usually filmed on a location so like the tv show scrubs was filmed in an abandoned hospital um on location using a single camera that could rove around and follow the action um so there's that that's uh what you tend to see more often now unless you're watching cbs cbs still loves the three camera setup for their sitcoms sitcoms
1: so could you give us other, uh, some examples of other three-camera sitcoms?
0: Yes. Uh, Frasier, Cheers, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, Dick Van Dyke, those all would have been...
1: Contemporary examples,
2: maybe?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the only place you see them today tends to be on CBS. So they have their... Uh, Big Bang Theory is probably the most okay. popular. I mean, that's one of the most popular shows on television, and that's still a traditional And your s- camera single
1: camera would be like Modern Family, The Office, Scrubs. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Got it. So in this particular episode,
0: the quick non-spoilery version is uh, what happens is that Marie Barone, which is Raymond's mother, uh, decides that she's going to live more healthily and she wants to make a healthy Thanksgiving dinner, including a tofu turkey. So if that sounds like a potential so- source for comedy, fire up your Netflix <laughs> and find the third or 10th episode of the third season of Everybody Loves Raymond.
2: All right. Uh, before you get into the spoilery synopsis, I've got an ad break. Okay. Today's synopses are brought to you by our listener, Linnell, who donated on Patreon. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Linnell. If you would like to have your name read as a sponsor of our synopses, you can go to patreon.com slash protagonist or protagonistpodcastcom slash support. And you will find your options there for, for helping us out with a small financial donation or a large one, if you'd like. <laughs> Small's fine, really. Yes. Yeah. An accumulation of small ones will make a big difference. So uh, here comes the full spoiler synopsis. So if you want to go watch the episode first, now is your chance. It's
1: only 20 minutes.
0: Yes. And it's it's pretty funny. I, I think you'll laugh. I dare say. <laughs> Deborah tells her husband, Ray, that because her parents are out of town, that we Wait. have Thanksgiving.
1: Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were talking about Marie, but go ahead. Yeah. we'll we'll get to Marie. Okay. okay. Got it.
0: Okay. Deborah tells her husband, Ray, that because her parents are out of town, they'll be having Thanksgiving with Ray's parents. Ray is very excited because his mom's cooking is extremely delicious. When Ray stops by his parents' house, he discovers that his mom, Marie, is trying to eat healthier because of some results they received from a senior citizen health fair. Ray's father, Frank, is not pleased with this turn of events. As per usual, he's trading extremely pointed barbs with his wife. Deborah says that they should support Marie's new health goals and shows her a number of healthy recipes. Marie declares that they'll have a healthy Thanksgiving with a tofu turkey. At Thanksgiving, Ray and Deborah's three children go and sit at a kiddie table and are magically never heard from again during the meal. (laughs) Ray's brother, Robert, is also there for dinner. As the adults gather around the big person table, Marie brings out her tofu turkey, a jiggly jello-like mass that was made in a turkey mold. Much comedy ensues as everyone tries to take a bite and struggles to act complimentary to a taste and texture they're clearly not enjoying. The kids do make one brief appearance, smashing the tofu turkey on their plates and calling it jello. The doorbell rings and a delivery man has a restaurant-prepared Thanksgiving dinner. At first, nobody will admit to ordering it, but it was Ray who placed the order. Marie is hurt that everyone prefers a traditional meal over the healthy meal that she has prepared. Ray goes to have a one-on-one conversation with Marie. At first, she says that she was in the wrong for not making everyone what they wanted, but Ray says he shouldn't be let off the hook. He apologizes and says that he should be more supportive of her. She needs to do what makes her happy. Uh, later on in the middle of the night, Ray hears sounds coming from his kitchen and discovers his mother and the kitchen sneaking bites from the restaurant dinner. This Soon is Ray's- in
1: his kitchen.
0: In his kitchen, yes, she's come across the street <laughs> into Ray's house in the middle of the night. Uh, soon Ray's father also appears in his bathroom, at, uh, because he rolled over and the great wall of Marie was not there to stop him. So he's <laughs> looking for his wife <laughs> and just assumes that he's over, she's over at Ray's house. Ray's brother, who is a cop, also stops by saying that he was driving by in his patrol car and saw dad going across the street in his bathrobe. He's aghast, accusing them of making a fake meal for him and then having a real Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner once he was on duty. <laughs> they invite him to sit down, and soon Deborah and the three children come downstairs, and they all have a late-night Thanksgiving dinner and scene.
1: All right. So, what do you think about Marie? Marie, she is fascinating, because she everything she
0: says has that kind of grandmotherly tone to it. <laughs> uh, especially everything she says to Ray. She, You know, everything that is directed towards Ray is just coded in love, except for everything that she says to her husband, she and her husband have every conversation is just nothing but insults and, <laughs> and uh, comments about how they'd be happier if they were, you know, they were dead. dead or, or, or had left each other. But at the same time, neither of them ever makes any move to change the status quo of their lives. Yeah. What do you make of that? So there are regions of the country <laughs> that have a stereotype of being let's say less loving than the Midwest. Sure. (laughs) Uh, And this is set in New Jersey, I want to say, and New Jersey and New York certainly have the stereotype of just kind of brusque rudeness. That's kind of uh, the primary form of communication. And I mean, this is on display as their primary form of communication is just kind of hostile, hostile warfare like I said, they never, throughout the entire series, neither of them ever does anything to change the status quo. It seems like this is what they've settled into. And this is the kind of uh, style of speaking to each other that they've become comfortable with, I guess.
1: I don't want to say that I had forgotten, because um, as I think about their relationship, I always think of this kind of tension in the relationship. I had forgotten how ruthless he is. I mean, it's... No, I had the same thing, because I haven't
0: watched... And everybody loves in years. And like I said, most of the time I had them on, it was kind of on the background and it was brutal. (laughs) Some of the ways that they spoke to each other. Yeah, like kind of hard to watch. Yes. And I mean, the, the laugh track or the studio audience is, is laughing along with it. And clearly you're supposed to laugh, but there is a level of discomfort with just the level that they're going to. But like I said, she gives it back to him. And this is the relationship, like I said, that they seem to have settled into. And it doesn't. Neither of them want it to change. (laughs) It's really kind of where where they seem to be at. I'm not saying that they're happy, but
1: they're kind of content with what they have, I guess. So I've been thinking a lot about relationships and love, and I've spoken uh, before on this podcast about John Bowlby and attachment theory. And just the more that I think about it, the more convinced I am that love in all or most of its forms, I don't know. <laughs> it seems to me that love, if we were to sort of uh, scrape off uh everything and try to get to its core uh across different contexts, that one definition of love may be something like uh, that to love someone is to be close to them, to be aware of their needs, and to respond to their needs, right? Um, and so as I think about their relationship, I wonder um how aware are they of each other's needs and how well do they respond to each other's needs and is it possible that the what what i think you and i and many other human beings <laughs> especially those in our, in our culture whatever that means uh would assume that like one of our needs is to not be com- constantly belittled by the people around us and yet they seem to be kind of okay with it.
0: Yeah. There, So there was an article floating around on my Facebook feed that I'd seen a few people post. And I never read the article. So this is one of those surface level. I saw the headline and I saw a couple comments about the article. <laughs> <laughs> Descriptions. The thing that my wife hates when I do to her. I said, did you see this? And then she has a follow-up question. And I'm just like, I have nothing. Nothing <laughs> more. Um, but it was saying something about sarcasm as a form of humor in relationships where everyone's aware of the sarcasm. Actually can be a healthy kind of communication Uh-huh. but it's uh, from again just some of the comments i saw people making it was saying uh also that though when there's not an established style of this kind of humor so if it's a new interaction or other things sarcasm is very off-putting and damaging to the formation of a relationship but that when it's an established relationship it it works and it functions and this is a long-term lifelong relationship that marie and frank are in and this seems to be the kind of communication that they, that those two characters have, have agreed to have and have settled into.
1: So she does seem to take care of him. I mean, she does, and she does seem to take some kind of, uh, I don't know if joy is the right word, but that's, she, well, she does her, I mean, she, she feels like her job is to take care of him and she does that as best she can. She prepares him, uh, good food and she takes him to the health fair and she, she they, they get into this, um, battle about who had better numbers and which category. <laughs> uh, but they seem to be at least aware of the other's health needs. Uh, when she realizes that, that neither of them is doing well, uh, she, she makes this decision to have uh, a change in their diet. A, a short-term decision. <laughs> short-lived decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she feels like that's a need for them and, and for him. And so she's willing to uh, put up with what she knows will be grief. Coming from him to do what I think she feels like is best for both of them, not just for her, but but for both of them. I don't know. It's just man that the verbal attacks are so barbed, and well, so they, I get. Yeah, I, I think they rapid are probably fire. more pointed from Frank,
0: but she is firing back. Yeah, as well. I mean, this is a two way style of uh, or two way relationship that they have of of communicating almost exclusively in insults. <laughs>
2: So I've got a question about their interactions. Near the end, he says he woke up and she wasn't there, and he went to interact with her. Yeah, he went to where he suspected she was. Yes, I was going to bring this up.
0: That I think that's one of those moments where you say that they they need each other. That they, they want to be with each other. Um, it, like he, he turns it into an insult where he says, I, I rolled over and the Great Wall of Marie wasn't there to stop me. But <laughs> I think what he's really saying is, I rolled over and you weren't in bed. And I wanted to know you, that you were all right. And I wanted to be with you. I don't like to be those. alone. Yeah. But they, he can't... He doesn't come out and say that. He seems incapable of saying anything <laughs> straightforward
2: that uh, implies his, his love for his wife. Well, and how many times throughout the episode? Two or three times he said... He wishes he was alone, but his behavior is contrary to that yes absolutely
1: yeah is it um, she says if you do that and he says what you'll leave me great and then he's like doing it more in this uh, hope that she might leave him
0: yeah and uh, when they're talking about their test results from the senior health fair uh, he says something like I, you know I won two out of the three so I'm going to live longer and she says only 30 seconds longer and he says something like 30
1: seconds of heaven 30 seconds of paradise
0: of oh, paradise that's what it was <laughs>
1: but but yet they they seem constantly drawn back towards each other. I hope that we have some listeners that are really big. everybody loves Raymond fans and can point us to because it seems to me that I remember episodes where maybe one of them, I think where Frank goes over the line kind yeah, of to line, I know
0: I very specifically remember Do you have one this,
1: one. and she's very offended, and he has to come back and kind of apologize.
0: apologize and he's apologize. tender to her, yes. like he he actually shows tender
1: affection. So listeners, Porter. dear listeners, if you could point us to that episode, <laughs> I would really appreciate it because I know that there's tenderness inside of him, but my goodness, he is brutal towards her and I don't I don't get the sense that she's really brutal towards him in the same way, but she she does certainly give give back in, in but I don't I don't feel like it's at the same level. He is yeah. really <laughs> Like you just want to say, stop! You cannot talk to your, you cannot talk to your wife like that. Like that is, that is wrong. Nobody deserves to be belittled like that constantly, all day long, every day. And I know it's fiction; it's not really a real story. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think it can't be healthy over the long term. And yet here they are, apparently. I mean, I, know, I want to say happily married, but <laughs> none of them seems really thrilled, except that they're still married after all of these years. I don't know. Would you say happily married? I would say contentedly married. (laughs) So define
0: like, like they are, I,
1: they are
0: content with where their life is and neither of them is going to do much to change it. And I think, like you said, there are a few episodes. I'm guessing it's not very many where you see tender affection between the two of them or valid concern uh, for the other. But a lot of that, for most of their relationship, is left implicit.
1: What if you were to say something like "resignedly
0: married"? I see. I, I don't think they're resigned to it. I think
1: isn't that what you just said? <sighs> well, <laughs> I mean, I because content, th- yeah, content not, would imply that there's like you know happiness and joy, and I just don't see well, really I, well, any again, joy. I in think their there's marriage.
0: some implicit. For most of the series, it's implicit by moments like. Um, Frank coming over and saying, I couldn't find my wife and uh, I need to know where she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, but it's made explicit a few times. Like, again, I remember this one episode that has some tender affection where he goes, goes to her and like he tells her that she's beautiful to him or something along those lines. Uh-huh. But for yep. most of it, the, he just doesn't make that explicit. Yeah. And she doesn't make anything explicit as, in terms of her affection for him.
1: On the contrary, it, he, he is explicitly attacking her right all the yes. time it's complicated man yes
0: <laughs> yeah he's explicitly attacking her but neither of them seem to actively want to leave or change the relationship or even change the way their interactions are except for those few episodes where maybe one of them goes too far probably frank i'm guessing it's frank who goes too far. <laughs> if one of them is going to go too far it's not going to be marie yeah also about marie what do you think of this new life goal that she establishes in this episode. And it doesn't even last out the episode (laughs) to try and be healthier. And uh, I mean, it's, I, I,
1: there is a, there is as funny as everybody loves Raymond is in general and sort of light, light lighthearted. Um, there are these, (laughs) there are these kind of moments of, I don't want to say darkness or heaviness or something, but, I mean, this is a real issue that that not only this family faces, but like tons of families face. I, and I this conversation happens in lots of different versions in millions of households every day where somebody says we need to eat better. And then somebody else says, <laughs>
0: right, I don't want to.
1: <laughs> I don't want to eat better. One one student told me today that somebody in their family says, if I'm going to die, I may as well not die hungry. <laughs> like, I know I'm going to die someday, but I don't, don't let me die hungry. And, um, I, I think it, it's sort of a, the, the tofu turkey becomes this silly kind of centerpiece.
0: Right. I mean, it's, it's pushing to an extreme for right. comedic sake. I mean, almost satirizing this goal of healthy eating and saying it's a bit ridiculous to go. I, but by pushing it that far, it's kind of saying it's ridiculous to go
1: this far. And it is ridiculous to make a tofu turkey. But uh, on Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. But, uh, I don't think it's ridiculous to be concerned about your health. And I've spoken with lots of people who, who have told me, you know, I wish that I could make, uh, changes in my life and I just feel kind of incapable of doing it. And there's, there's something sweet in the final scene when everybody's back at Ray's house and they all dig into the traditional, uh, turkey dinner. Uh, but there's also something kind of sad about, About like, you know, we wanted to do better in this uh, area of our lives and um, it just isn't, it just isn't important to us. Right. And And that's that's never resolved. It's not like, let's find a happy balance and maybe we'll eat some things healthy and some things not. It's like, well, we tried that and and it (laughs) failed, but at least we've got family and tradition. But like, they're going to die of heart disease.
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yes. Well, because her (laughs) statement is like, you know what? Because when Ray has his one-on-one with Marie and he says, you know what? You're more important than food, basically, and I should support you in your goals to be healthier. Right. And Whatever makes you happy, if it's having tofu turkey, we should go have a tofu turkey together because I w- want to have you alive longer.
1: But they're <laughs> you know? incapable of sustaining that.
0: Yes, and they don't sustain it. And when she's at his house later, she says, you know what makes me happy? Butter. And she drops an inhuman amount of butter <laughs> <laughs> into mashed potatoes and takes a bite. And I hope that the actress, (laughs) Doris Roberts, had at least moved the spoon some because it looks like a mouthful
1: of straight butter. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, there's something kind of spooky about that. Like there's something really dark in, in saying, you know what makes me happy? Butter. (laughs) And then eating a huge spoonful of butter. And then all the family comes together. And it's like, what's the one thing that can draw our family together? Well, it couldn't be love or just the tradition of Thanksgiving and, and actually being together. That has to be, uh, food. And that food has to be of a certain kind, even if, in the long run, that's going to kill us. (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel like I've taken taken us in a very dark direction (laughs) with Everybody Loves Raymond, But I think it's really – I don't know. I think it's worth thinking about.
2: Do you feel like they're playing extremes for comedy? Like she switches to healthy and it's uh, different kinds of eggs. It's soy milk for the coffee and it's absolute everything instantly. And then they switch back to Spoonfuls of Butter. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, I mean,
0: all satire will play with extremes. And and that's one of the... What's so funny about satire, but it's also one thing that gets lost in satire, is nuance and middle ground. Yeah. I was going to say, just as a wrap-up for this particular thread, that when I was watching the episode with more critical eye, like... We had talked about doing it in Everybody Loves Raymond. I I remember there's an episode with Tofu Turkey that is hilarious. And there are some hilarious bits we're going to talk about in a moment. But when I watched the whole episode again with more critical eye preparing for this podcast, I was struck by how, like you said, kind of dark and unsettling.
1: (laughs) that Everyone just immediately
0: reverts back. Because Marie's goals aren't bad. She goes too far, obviously. The extreme that she goes to is too far. And particularly right before Thanksgiving and doing this to Thanksgiving dinner. Um, it, you know, that's, no one wants to see that done to Thanksgiving dinner.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> um, but the goal to say, I'm going to be healthier is a good one. And the only support she gets is from Deborah, who usually Marie and Deborah are kind of antagonists. Uh huh. And her children and her husband give her zero support. And they, it, it's treated as celebratory when she goes back to the unhealthy style of eating that's given her, you know, warning signs from the, the senior health fair. Right and i i think maybe it's that celebratory co- you know aspect of it that is kind of like oh i i wish that it had ended on maybe a slightly different to- note saying you know what thanksgiving dinner needs to be thanksgiving dinner and we're going to make that the same that we've always done it but maybe we're going to eat a few more salads maybe we'll <laughs> you know we'll, we'll we'll cut back on some of the other less healthy aspects of our day-to-day life
1: yeah i don't i don't know there's something about meh. Maybe correct, them, correct me if I'm wrong on this from what you remember of the rest of the series, but there seems to be something in Everybody Loves Raymond of, like, um, that our family isn't perfect, but this is our family. And this is the way that the Barones do things, and and that's good enough for us. And that that's the thing that's celebrated is not, like, family as as an abstract concept, but this family – and the way that this family makes things work. So it's certainly not a model to follow. Like, Frank and Marie's relationship is not a model to follow. It's not leave it to Beaver, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's complicated, and they have this complicated relationship where – Looking at it from the outside, you wonder, how is it possible that they have been together for this long? How is it possible that there can be any happiness or any joy in a relationship where two people attack each other constantly? And yet, every once in a while in a blue moon, you see some moment of tenderness between them and you go, well, I guess it works for them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know how, but I guess it works for them. And and it, I guess that that's the same thing that they're doing with with the Thanksgiving dinner and the health thing. It's like, you know what? this isn't uh, This is not a model family. But this is their family, and they love each other, and and maybe that's good enough.
0: Um, you mentioned kind of tradition in the way that this family does it. What do you think of the idea of tradition within this particular episode, like how it gets dealt with and negotiated?
1: <laughs> I just was thinking of this one, <laughs> this line at the beginning when um, Ray and Deborah are talking to each other. I'm trying to remember how it goes exactly, but she says, well, my family's going out of town. Oh, going overseas. And he's yeah. like, what? Overseas? Where are they going? Oh, just, you know, overseas. overseas. And he says, where are they going? Where are they going to spend Thanksgiving? And she says, you have to promise me that you won't make fun of it. And well, he's, no, she, oh. she says,
0: you don't always have to make fun of my family. Like, he said nothing. And she just says, you don't have to make fun of my family all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then he says, tell me where they're going. And she says, fine they're going to turkey <laughs> <laughs> i can't i can't remember if he does he even say anything or no it's like, he sits there silently like, and then she smacks him <laughs> no <laughs> like nothing needs to be said but um that's those kind of moments are what make everybody loves raymond really work as comedy is the i think that they all the chemistry between all of the characters is really good. And Robert and, um, Robert and Ray and Ray and Deborah, Deborah and Marie and Deborah and Frank and Frank and Marie, like it all, just every one of their relationships is identifiable and, uh, and really, really funny. Uh, although Frank and Marie's relationship is <laughs> really unsettling sometimes for me. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, you wanted to talk about tradition. um, I, I I recognize this conversation like in my own family, like, hey, uh, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving and where are we going to be and who are we going to be with? And uh, just this idea of negotiation, I think is the negotiation of tradition is um, – so there's negotiation of tradition between Ray and Deborah. Is it going to be your family? Is it going to be my family? Well, it's going to be my family because my family is in, in Turkey. Right. Um, and the negotiation of tradition is a whole different ballgame when you're married. <laughs> Right. But then there's also negotiation of tradition now inside of Ray's family because there's this, uh, this elephant in the room of, <laughs> of, uh, of the health of, uh, Frank and Marie. And so now there's a new negotiation that happens with tradition. And we think of, tra- I think we think of tradition as these like solid, um, things that never, ever change. And yet I think that if we are, were to examine our own traditions more closely, that we would find that probably every year is there's some kind of negotiation that happens. And that the things that our grandparents did are slightly different from the things that our parents did, which are slightly different from the things that we do. And the way that we did it last year is going to be different probably than the way we do it this year, because you know, things change. And so as, as solid and constant as we, we like to think our traditions are, I think one thing that we see in this episode is this kind of negotiation and it's, it's different. And even if, even if they end up getting Thanksgiving dinner, uh, the way that they say, you know, like, um, like in Spanish they would say like como Dios manda, like like the way God intends it to be. <laughs> um it's not. It's not at all. They have first they have a they have a pre Thanksgiving dinner that's horrible, and then they have this late night in their jammies Thanksgiving dinner uh that's ordered from a restaurant, it's not Marie's home cooking. Uh and it's a different kind of thing. And you know, it's okay.
0: So one year at Thanksgiving dinner, I can't remember who it was, but someone looked over the spread and said, Where's the corn? <laughs> <laughs> and my mom said, really? <laughs> like, there are dozens of things out here to be consumed. And someone in my mom was like, we always have corn. And then immediately the rest of us were like, yeah, there's always corn at Thanksgiving dinner. And my mom went and got some frozen corn out <laughs> of <on> the freezer <laughs> and dropped it on the stove <laughs> or something like that. But it was like this one thing was off from our vision of what the tradition was. And you're completely right about, like, things shifting. I know, like, we we make different recipes for our stuffing or our cranberry sauce that we used to and that sort of thing. But for some reason that one year, someone noticed that there wasn't corn on the table and it felt like corn needed to be part of Thanksgiving dinner.
1: Well, it's interesting to me like how tradition – as we look back on tradition, it's such an important part of who we are and identity and like family identity. And I look back and I say, no, every year at Christmas, my dad – so Santa Claus uh, brings the gifts. They go down into the basement. We have a door that closes. and My dad goes uh, and he has to check and see if Santa Claus came. And we're all waiting with bated breath to see if Santa actually came this year. And and like that's a that's a really <laughs> Do, important did tradition. Do we ever miss a year? <laughs>
0: No. <laughs> the major batter breath sober made it.
1: No, but every year the kids are like, oh, okay, Grandpa, go downstairs and see if-. and then he goes down and says, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And the kids are all like just dying upstairs, like, oh my gosh, I can't wait any longer. Um But everybody has to brush their teeth beforehand, which is by the way, parents, young parents, <laughs> if you want to instill one Christmas tradition, uh why don't you instill this one? Have all of your kids brush their teeth before they open their presents. Everyone will have a more pleasant Christmas morning. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, traditions. But we look back on them, and and it's it's such an important part, and it seems so constant. And yet, if you look at it from year to year, uh, they change.
0: Well, and, and there's some that you probably are trying to instill, like we're going to do this as a tradition and it doesn't take, and other things are just random and yes. <laughs> it happened one year and suddenly they want, you know, we want that thing to happen every year, that dish to be on the table or, or, you know, the sequence of events before this other thing happens. Yeah.
1: And, and, uh, yeah. and then there are also those like, uh, false traditions where you're gathered around with your siblings and they say, Remember how we used to do that thing every year and you're like, um, actually, I think we did that one time or, and it wasn't <laughs> at all like the way that you remember it. It was this other way.
0: Yeah. Or, or people have different, like different memories of it or like different memories of who was involved in what way. Cause our memories, you know, you can create yeah. false memories of, of events. Um, and I, I, whenever I talk about tradition, I also think about the logical fallacy that's called tradition, <laughs> which is because we've done it this way, it needs to be done that way. And that's the fallacy. Like the, what's the reason you've done it that way? Like find the reason that you've always done X thing. And that's the reason to do it. Not because it's always been done. And I think it's funny when you think about family traditions and, you know, is X thing done this way because mom made it that way. And so it makes me think of mom or is it, because um it was convenient to buy the store bought version of this thing and now we always need to have the store bought version of that thing <laughs> and but maybe you know you could get a better quality of something on the table or something along those lines but traditions to me always fascinate me both like you're saying how they develop the kind of false memories we have sometimes of of uh-huh. how they come about um cuz i do think they're important i think especially family traditions can be hugely important for for bonding and for ensuring uh that that you you know, take time to do things at certain times of the year that that wouldn't be done or, you know, see people that you wouldn't see as often because everyone's lives get really busy. So I think family traditions are important, but I'm always kind of intrigued with how, how they form. And then also the times that we kind of rely on this logical fallacy of, well, we need to do it this way because we've always
1: done it this way. Yeah. But, but why have we always done it this way? It's interesting to think about like the life cycle of a tradition where some traditions last, you know, a, a couple of years, a few years, some traditions last decades and like in my family there are traditions that started when my mom was a little girl and then the family got bigger and bigger and bigger and then seven kids all have you know five to seven kids of their own and we have hundreds of cousins running around and they're and they're trying to recreate the same tradition that 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 happened when my mom was a little girl with her dad and there were five kids around you know gathered around a piano or something and and recognizing, you know what? I think that this tradition has kind of run its course and it's time to, (laughs) it's time to, it's time to maybe a little unwieldy. Yeah. It's maybe try, it's time to do something new and how hard that is emotionally to say to, 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 I mean, it's one thing if a tradition just kind of burns itself out, but it's another thing for there have to, you know, to be like an intervention and big family councils to say, listen, the way that we've been doing things, even though it's been so great and we have so many, really powerful memories associated with people that we love that are no longer with us. Uh, and, the, and it's all tied up in this tradition. It just isn't working the way that we wish it would anymore. And it's time to let it go and do something new. And that's, uh, that's another really interesting aspect of traditions to me is to watch them kind of die and then be reborn in new ways and to see what new generations of people do and how they reinvent uh, or repurpose old traditions to kind of make them their own and try to start something new and say, man, this was an amazing thing that happened for decades. And now it's my turn as a young dad to sit down with my wife and decide what, what aspects of that tradition are going to really work for us. And is it what it could, it could we possibly be starting something today that 50 years from now, our kids will still be doing.
0: Well, like, like you mentioned sitting with your wife, it's, um, Interesting to see the way families like I've had to blend traditions from my family with my wife's family traditions uh-huh. I mean that's what you have to do uh when, when you when you get married and you're you, you have kids and um like their expectations like she had different expectations for how um let's just say <laughs> santa. <laughs> <laughs> prepared gifts for the children yes uh, the way he, he had prepared gifts for my children yes. you know for, for me when i was a kid and we both thought well this is the natural way for santa to do this thing and it turns out santa does things differently from
1: family to family who yes
0: knew? <laughs> who knew I that he he catered to individual tastes yes
1: <laughs> and they, and you have to have some kind of negotiation with santa to figure out how he's going to deliver presents to your house because it's different Right. I've heard some
0: listeners listen in the car and their kids might be present. So,
1: yes. <laughs> just
0: just, uh, just know that Santa individualizes the way he does things. From but kids to family know family. that because yeah.
1: uh, every Christmas morning they call their cousins or go to their neighbor's house and they go, Wait, Santa wraps your presents? <laughs> Santa doesn't wrap my presents. And uh, who knows why or how Santa knows to wrap some kids' presents and not. Uh but you know, you can you can assume, kiddos that are listening to this, that Santa may have some conversations with your parents about that.
0: Or the elves get lazy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Producer um,
2: Andrew has a comment. Yeah, on the topic of tradition, I think Joseph, you were the one that told me about this study with monkeys and they trained a tradition into them and then it propagated without any further influence. What so so the scenario was... I've just got to say real quick, maybe I told you, but I have no memory of this. <laughs> so so the n- scenario was something like this. They set up like a, a, a habitat with like 10 monkeys, and in the middle there's a ladder, and on the top of the ladder are bananas. And when a monkey tries to climb the ladder, they punish it. <laughs> no, when oh. the monkey climbs the ladder, they punish all the monkeys. I remember and, this now. Uh, yes, and, I and, did tell you this. And so very rapidly... The monkeys decide that if any monkey tries to climb the ladder, they punish, like, all the monkeys gang up on that monkey (laughs) to make sure they don't get hurt. Then they swap out a monkey, and that monkey tries to climb the ladder, and it gets beat You have an incredibly detailed memory of this.
1: Yes. (laughs) Uh, Is it not fascinating, Todd? The famous social experiment, Five Monkeys and a Ladder... Oh, snap. He found it. A like- group of scientists placed five monkeys in a cage, and in the middle, a ladder with bananas on top. Every time a monkey went up the ladder, the scientists soaked the rest of the monkeys with cold water. This is horrible. This is science, Todd. I don't think they do science like this anymore. <laughs> when was this the study done? Is- Ghostbusters level science. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. After a while, every time a monkey would start up the ladder, the others would pull it down. Oh, man. The recesses of my mind just turned into an ad. <laughs> Close. Uh, after a while, every, t- uh, every time a monkey would start up the ladder, the others would pull it down and beat it up. After a time, no monkey would dare try climbing the ladder, no matter how great the temptation. The scientists then decide to replace one of the monkeys. The first thing this new monkey did was start to climb the ladder. Immediately, the others pulled him down and beat him up. My goodness. After several beatings, the new monkey learned never to go up the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there was no evident reason not to, aside from the <laughs> You go up the ladder, you get beat up. <laughs> All right, this is, wow. Uh, the second monkey was substituted and the same occurred. The first monkey participated in the beating of the second monkey. The third monkey was changed and the same was repeated. The fourth monkey was changed resulting in the same before the fifth was finally replaced as well. And
0: at this point, there's no soakings. What of was the left monkeys. was a group of, of five monkeys, have monkeys have that ever without so.
1: ever having received a cold shower, continued to beat up any monkey who attempted to climb the ladder. If it was possible to ask the monkeys why they beat up on all those who attempted to climb the ladder, their most likely answer would be I don't know. It's just how things are done around here. Does that sound at all familiar? Source, this story, a modern day Fable was inspired in part by the experiments of G.R. Stevenson found in cultural acquisition of a specific learned response among rhesus monkeys, as well as certain experiments with chimpanzees conducted by Wolfgang Kohler in the 1920s. Okay, so yeah, this is, this is old science, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, it was pieced together to form the urban legend as it now stands. If you enjoyed right. this post, you may appreciate the similar hundredth monkey effect. Interesting. That comes from wisdompills.com. The famous social experiment: five monkeys and a ladder.
2: But if you've ever been to public school, you know that there are such <laughs> traditions. <laughs> don't do that. Why not? I don't know. The seniors beat me up for it. You get hazed. <laughs> then you become a
1: senior, and you. We haze. all had to do it when we were freshmen. <laughs> yes, I heard that. Wow, uh, we have we have strayed far <laughs> afield on this one. My goodness.
0: All right. Um, so. A couple of production things about this episode that I want to make note of. I kind of made a <laughs> reference
2: in my... There's because no, we are talking about Everybody Loves Raymond. There is ramen. no if, smooth
0: transition from <laughs> rhesus Monkeys back to Tofu Turkey.
1: <laughs>
0: if, uh, if anyone forgot, we're talking about Everybody Loves Raymond.
1: <laughs> this is episode 10 of season 3, <laughs> in which Ray's mom makes a tofu turkey.
0: And uh, I just got to point out that uh, Deborah is obviously pregnant. And I love the ways that they try and cover this up <laughs> in the episode. The actress who plays... Plays Deborah is, um, so at the beginning she's reading a book on the couch, but she has a a very thick blanket pulled up over her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't notice any of
0: this. And then in, uh, she wears a lot of layered clothing with an open blouse as the outer layer that's kind of dangling at the sides so that you don't see her midsection at all. And then when they do the cross shots, uh, everyone, a lot of other people get body shots for their cross shots, but she always has a close-up on her face for the cross <laughs> shots. I, I, I am always, always fascinated with the way that uh, TV shows try and cover up pregnancies within main <laughs> main actresses always, on their series.
1: Always, always, always fascinated yes. by it? like.
0: Oh yeah, like Bones, have you made a study Bones of this. And, oh, I love it. They a lot of times the moms <laughs> in sitcoms. This is
1: fantastic. This is why we do this podcast. We'll be uh, unloading tell me, groceries, do tell me more, and they, they have a
0: big brown paper bag in front of them as they're unloading groceries for an entire conversation. <laughs> they're slowly removing one item at a time so that they can hold a three-minute scene. There's a, there's a lot of um, oh, and sometimes when they have uh, bedroom scenes, they the production staff will hollow out the wife's side of the bed and she's actually sunk in, but they pile up blankets <laughs> on top of her. So she'll have a whole conversation lying down but never move. Wow. <laughs> I believe your favorite is from Frazier, Joseph. Oh, well I don't know about Favorite, but uh <laughs> the way um Daphne the actress plays uh Daphne is, is pregnant in one season and instead of trying to work around it for an entire season, they um <laughs> they have her slowly and to the point where that she's clearly in fat suits, they have her slowly gain weight and then disappear to a fat camp to try and lose the weight. Oh my gosh! And then, like, they make reference to how she's doing, and they'll say things like, "Yeah, she just lost eight pounds, six ounces." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! This is amazing. I didn't know that that was one of your uh, one of your pastimes.
0: Yes, I, when I know that there's a pregnant, or, or when I'm watching it, it becomes apparent that they're hiding. <laughs> Hiding it with the way they're shooting. I love to watch the tricks that they, they, they try and use.
1: <laughs> so I feel like we should point out um, the reactions to the tofu turkey.
0: Yes. Okay. So okay. The, if listeners, long-time listeners at this point, I think we can say long-time listeners to the podcast. If yes. You back to one of our early episodes. We're almost on, 50
1: episodes into this.
0: Yeah. Uh, on Mary Tyler Moore show. Uh, and we talked about how the whole episode built to this comedic scene of Mary desperately trying not to laugh. And we tried to do justice to the descriptions of... of uh uh, of how funny the the physical comedy is i think we're gonna have one of those moments right
1: now well the thing the other one the other past episode that we have to talk about is um i love lucy and the the vitamin of edgman because this is uh, there's no way that these these actors aren't thinking of that on some level don't you think like trying to trying to muscle it down they look (laughs) like lucille ball trying to muscle down the the vitamin of edgman
0: now that you say it, I, I completely see it. I never made that connection before, though.
1: Yeah, I, I just think there's no way that they're not. It's so their all their facial expressions and the way that they, you know, Robert's like banging on the table as he's all right, as he's so trying to look. get it down.
0: For any listeners who haven't seen the episode, the tofu turkey is out on the table, and you should go watch this episode just to the scene. Fast forward to when the tofu turkey makes an appearance. It's right when the children disappear. Um, which is just a production thing uh sitcoms famously will um have children around uh but then they will disappear for entire sequences because of labor laws and how long children are allowed to be on set and also just the added trouble that comes often with (laughs) with, um having children on set so they like they'll they'll film the opening of the scene where the children are told to go sit at the kitty table and then the children are just gone for the rest of the conversation
1: and which sends everybody loves Raymond into the realm of high fantasy. <laughs> high fantasy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause I forget Thanksgiving dinner.
0: I cannot sit at a dinner <laughs> without yeah. the first bite reaching my lips before my children are making some sort of demand or asking a question.
1: So when we, when we discuss, uh, the, 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 at the end of the seat, at the end of the year, uh, we'll, we'll t- go through and kind of, Look back on the year, and we'll talk about all of the works of fantasy that we uh, discussed. (laughs) And we will talk about The Hobbit, and Harry Potter, and The Graveyard Book, and Everybody Loves Raymond. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Because they are silent. It's not just that they're over to the side. They're just completely silent. Oh, my
1: gosh. Thanksgiving dinner is so loud. Every dinner (laughs) is so loud. (laughs) When you have multiple children, uh, your house is just loud. From seven o'clock in the morning until they go to bed at <laughs> night. Loud.
0: Wow. So so anyway, the Toby Turkey is on the table and there is just high physical comedy that you need to see. Um and even when I was watching the episode just before we started recording, I rewatched it one more time, uh, to, to refresh because we were supposed to record this last week and things happened, listeners. And so, <laughs> so we're recording it this week. And uh, something I'd never seen before is that there's a moment when Ray says, all right, I'm going to carve the turkey, <laughs> which is a jiggling <laughs> gelatinous mass in the middle of the table. And, um, Robert asks for a leg. <laughs> And he pulls off the piece of paper and he pulls off this piece of paper and it shows that there's just a chopstick stuck into the turkey that had some paper wrapped around it to kind of look like a turkey leg <laughs> uh, covering and Robert's face when Ray <laughs> pulls this off is some of the best facial acting for comedy that I can recall ever seeing and then. Each member of the family uh, is kind of, like, making jokes and saying they don't want to eat it. And Deborah, who, again, is the only one who's supporting Marie's goals, she says, every one of you is going to take a bite. And she goes around the table and she says, Frank, take a bite. And he almost gags as he's swallowing this down. And then, Ray, take a bite. And he puts it in his mouth. And then he, like, leans forward and rests his hand on uh, on his forehead and kind of rubs and massages his temple as he's trying oh, to man. swallow. <laughs> and then... She asked Robert to take a bite and it made me realize how gifted, um, Brad Garrett, Robert, yes, uh, thank you, Brad Garrett is as a physical comedian. He's amazing. <laughs> as he tries to swallow this down and then just out of nowhere, his, his hands like slams down on the table. <laughs> <his> violent act. <laughs>
2: And that one starts as he lifts it to his mouth. His hand is quivering. Right. Oh, he yeah. He's he he shaking,
1: some... like uncontrollably shaking, like it's going to shake off the spoon.
0: But it makes the, the tofu jiggle in a way that no one else was able to do. Again, <laughs> just quality <laughs> physical acting from Brad Garrett. Yeah, it's fa- it's a tour de force. So there's this, this cycle of great physical acting. And then Deborah also takes a bite because Marie's like, you know, I think you can get used to this. Once, once you adjust your, your expectations, it's delicious. And Marie's like, or, or uh, Deborah says, thank you, Marie. And she takes a bite. <laughs> and then like, her face falls and she's like stiffening up.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a great scene, but it really does echo that uh, vitamin of Edgeman. And we talked about that episode. Uh, there'll be a, a link in the show notes, but we talked about an episode of I Love Lucy when Lucy has to drink this, uh, tonic. And she, she, when you, if you look at both of those scenes side by side, you will know that the Everybody Love Raymond cast is thinking about Lucy.
0: Did you have a favorite reaction of? Everyone's.
1: uh, I think Roberts is just fantastic. The the jiggling jello and the (laughs) slamming the table, and he's just so huge. He is big. He is such a big
0: man compared to the rest of the cast. Yeah. And I do remember at some point I saw the creator, Phil Rosenthal, uh, and um, Ray Romano, so that they're the co creators of the series. They had originally um, had the idea of. That they were going to have a, an actor who was much smaller than Ray play uh-huh. the the cop brother, who kind of was going to have an inferiority complex. He's six feet. He's six feet four and a half inches. Just. And then they read. They had Brad Garrett read for it, and they said this would open up a lot of comedic possibility that this giant of a man has an inferiority complex. Yes, <laughs> for his younger brother. <laughs> And I, I remember seeing even Brad Garrett say he was reading for the role and he was trying to get a feel for the character. And they said, well, he's kind of melancholy all the time, kind of an Eeyore. And Brad Garrett said, I'm Eeyore. And they're like, what? And he's like, I'm the voice of Eeyore for Disney <laughs> right now. <laughs> like, when they do the Winnie the Pooh things, I I voice Eeyore.
1: <laughs> and so I kind of channeled that for, for his portrayal of Robert. That's uh, really good. He's, he's one of the highlights of the show.
0: Well, there's just one thing, and we'll put a link to this in... Uh, the show notes, but it it must be said, uh, just on the idea of Everybody Loves Raymond, this is the result of maybe one of the most important uh, stand-up comedic moments, uh, at least in Ray Romano's life, but maybe for kind of entertainment. Because Everybody Loves Raymond, like we said, hugely popular, ran for many, you know, for a decade. And it all came about because Ray, after over a decade of doing stand-up comedy, Ray Romano got a chance to do Letterman and do a stand-up comedy bit on Letterman, which is, um, was the, you know, the goal of every stand-up comedian was, was to do the, you know, the late show or the tiny show. So I Letterman or Leno. I mean, it's a huge deal for their careers and he hadn't ever done it. And he did one bit and Letterman said, I really like that guy. And that, and then Letterman was his production company was the production company that made after Brothers Raymond after that one stand-up comedy bit wow. where Ray did a lot of comedy about having kids and, <laughs> I remember specifically, because I've seen this bit a couple times, because it's so famous for, you know, getting making Ray Romano's career Is this where um, he's on
1: with Dave Matthews in 2000? 2000... No, that's, that's
0: 2015. No, that's but he, uh, I just remember one joke specifically, he says, when you have kids, like, your sense of humor just changes. Like, I used to make really complex jokes, and now I just kind of, and he, he reaches his pocket, he's like, I do this and he starts waving his car keys in the air. <laughs> he's like, I expect this to entertain everyone now. <laughs> this is the height of comedy when you have young children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along those lines. And uh, so out of that, that you know, one, I mean, decade plus career as a stand-up comedian where I'm sure multiple times he, he asked if he was going to make it. And then he got one break to appear on The Letterman Show, which for comedians, that's supposed to make it so that you have a better touring, you know, uh, you know chance of touring and bring, drawing in more crowds when you tour with your stand-up comedy. It actually led to one of the most successful sitcoms in history
1: cool ray romano doing stand-up i think i found it yeah this looks like a very young ray romano does he have an oversized jacket because it was the 90s yes and a great big fat tie that hangs far too low below his belt
0: (laughs) Yep, that's that's the 90s one that's the
1: one all right we found it we gotta make its way into show notes yes
0: (laughs) all right well any final thoughts on marie or everybody loves raymond
1: no, I, this, uh, this conversation went in directions I had never <laughs> <in> anticipated, No, <laughs> uh, but I think that it's been interesting. So thank you.
0: All right. Uh, so if, uh, that sounds interesting again, this, this whole series is now available on Netflix or you can probably turn on TBS at any point and you have a good chance of catching a rerun. That wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and please leave us a review. It helps with our viewership, or listenership, I should say, and also with our self-worth. Links to things that we've talked about in this episode are at ProtagonistPodcast.com, and you can also find a list of all of our shows there. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss, or give us comments or corrections by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com, and we're all on Twitter at ProtagonistPod.com at Todd K. Mac, at J. Dorowski and our producer Andrews at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. Please go there and like it. You'll see um, we have some conversations going during the week about future episodes or about past episodes, so feel free to leave comments there. If you want to buy a topic for us to discuss or just support us with a financial donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long, I was gonna say that I it's got I had wait right with oh, my Oh it was gonna be good. This was this was <laughs> podcast gold. It's on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, uh, so we're I think we're talking we, about going we, we've dep- dark and oh.